Hello, and welcome back to the Shoot Hub podcast, the podcast that makes running your shoot easier. My name is George Brown, editor at Guns on Pegs and Shoot Hub, and my co-host name is Digby Taylor, managing director of Guns on Pegs. Digby, how's things going? You've been down on the farm, right? Yeah, um, things are good, thanks. Been uh, a lot going on over the last couple of weeks. It's been a lovely... Well, George, you and I have been to Morocco. <laughs> we We've have, been yeah. uh, <laughs> on a work trip, in inverted commas. Um, shooting wild boar in the Atlas Mountains. Um, we've drilled our or, or broadcast our cover crop at home um, into the driest soil you could possibly imagine. So we're praying for <laughs> rain this weekend. <laughs> uh, birds confirmed. Um, had a hatch of uh, um, guinea fowl. Uh, it's all go, all go. Yeah. How about you, George? Yeah. Well, not dissimilar. We've had our birds confirmed as well. We were a bit worried as to whether we were going to get partridges or not, um, but we definitely are. So very happy about that. Uh, groundwork's been done for the cover crops, but they've not been drilled yet. So it's all looking good. We've got the date set for the for the shoot this year, so that's nice. Um, the the Morocco thing. I mean, if you want to know about that, go and listen to the Guns on Pegs podcast episode we did about that because um, it was uh, quite an experience that we definitely won't do justice to here. Um, but we did record a podcast out there, so go and check that out. Um, Digby, I want to know about your turkeys. We should try and get the Shoot Hub podcast on location at some point, I'm sure, but uh, that's in due course. Turkeys, yeah. So I've got the the chap who's um, uh, rearing my poults for me. He's got some wild American turkey chicks. Um, and I had a goat rearing a few a few years, years ago um, and uh, um, had a breeding trio um, and released them into the wild, having done their business um, about, well, no, I didn't release them into the wild. They escaped from my enclosure about a week ago <laughs> um yeah so i think we're the first um the first escapee wild american turkeys in cornwall very much looking forward to seeing them pottering about on the farm you'll have to get a, a few george to add to your collection of exotic birds <laughs> i haven't got a collection of exotic birds digby i've got i've got a desire for one and i haven't executed yet <laughs> um good. yeah um right so digby um uh, because we run the game shooting census every year, we know that about 40% of guns do most of their shooting on a syndicate. Uh, and we also know that 45% of shoots are run primarily as syndicates. So it's about time, uh, however many episodes in to the Shoot Hub podcast we are, that we did an episode that focused exclusively on syndicates. Um, do you think it's fair to say, given how important those, how many people and how many shoots are syndicate based that that syndicates are kind of the bedrock of shooting in the uk um oh well yeah i th i think so i mean there are twelve thousand shoots in the uk that means nearly six thousand of them are somewhat syndicated um and it is where most people learn shooting i mean you learn to shoot at um home on your family shoots it's sort well i know it's not a syndicate but it's a syndicate style of shoot um yeah, yeah. i certainly and did a lot of my shooting growing up on syndicate shoots as well yeah, and I think for a lot of people, it represents probably the most cost-effective way of shooting as well, doesn't it? Certainly for guns, I think. Yeah, for sure. I know, definitely, I think so. And it's good fun to be involved in as well. Yeah, really exactly. Good fun. You get to try yeah. your hand at um, at the the hard stuff, the <laughs> the proper stuff, the keeping. Sometimes. Yeah. So, well, so with that in mind, uh, why don't you tell everybody who today's guest is? Yeah, thanks, George. So today we're joined by Sam Phillips. Some of you might have come across him, uh, across Sam when he worked at the BGA a few years ago. Um, but we've got Sam on today to talk to us about his role running and managing 
well, a couple of shoots, I think, isn't it, in Leicestershire. Um, Sam, it's an absolute delight to have you on the Shoot Hub podcast. Welcome. Good afternoon, gents, and uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, it's quite a surprise to be asked to do this, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely keen to, to sit down and have a chat and uh, just go through what I do. Yeah, it's right. I'm, I'm right in saying you've got a couple of shoots you look after in Leicestershire, is that right? Yeah, so predominantly I've got one on my doorstep, which is a, I'm very lucky to have. I've I've worked on that shoot called Western Pastures now for must be 12 years and I've had it under my own name for the last seven of that. Um, and then also probably five or six miles up the road, I run very small scale, um, kind of a syndicate. It's more for a, a landowner. We only have four days. He has two days and I have two days. Um, and it, it's just a bloody good get together, to be honest. Um, so yeah, it keeps me out of mischief. Well, it's great to have you on, Sam. Um, so the way we like to kick things off and, and to help our listeners get to know you a bit is we start off with a bit of a kind of quick fire, either or uh, round. Um, so all you have to do is uh, pick one of the two. No need for an explanation. Um, but if we feel like quizzing you on one of them afterwards, we might do. Um, so I will go first and we go with beating or picking up. Most definitely beating. Uh, pheasant or partridge? Pheasants. Uh, Wales or Exmoor? It's got to be Wales. Oh, interesting. Uh, walked up or driven? If I had to choose, it would be driven. Yeah, driven. Labradors or Spaniels? 100% Spaniels all day long. I love them. <laughs> the nuts. Uh, yeah. Slow gin <laughs> or Downs and Vodka? All of it. <laughs> um, I'm not fussy when it comes to alcohol, but slow gin. Uh, roast pheasant or venison casserole? It's going to upset a few people, but uh, venison. Uh, and wellies or boots? Depending on the job, but shoot day, boots to look smart. Uh, side by side or over and under? I'm of the generation of, a, of an over and under, I'm afraid. I was rubbish with the side by side. And finally, <laughs> 20 bore or 12 bore? 12 bore. Very nice. I think Very we're starting nice. to build a bit of a picture. The one that jumped out to me, so you're a spaniel lover, you enjoy shooting pheasants in Wales, um, and uh, you wear boots on shoot days, and yet you um, you prefer driven shooting to walked up shooting. That surprised me a little bit. Well, basically, so spaniels, it's, it's all I've ever known. I've had one Labrador, and I ruined her, turned her into a, a beating dog. So, uh, so I said, I better not have any more Labradors. Um, and the only reason for Wales, I can, I don't think I've ever shot in Wales. I've never shot a thing, but we used to holiday a lot in Wales. Um, and I just love the terrain. I just, I love the people there. So that's why. Very nice. Great. We ought, what we ought to do, Digby, is be keeping a kind of tally of these over the course of time. And, and what, so we can say with, with Shoot Hub podcast guests, yeah. beating is, is more popular than picking up or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, stats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, right. So, Sam, um, first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the syndicate that you run? Uh, look, for example, how many days do you do each year? Okay, yeah, so it, it varies, to be honest. Um, I mean, on an average year, um, so let's go on this year, actually. So we've scaled it back a little bit uh, because the ever-increasing prices of pheasants, of food. I'm very lucky. My, my syndicate are all kind of that they're working men um they've got their chippies their electricians their farmers and i absolutely love to be it's everyone who's on my syndicate and i didn't want to lose anybody so rather than increase the prices 
we drop down. So we've got two syndicates that run. Um, they both shoot four days each. And I try as much as I can to keep them about the same number of birds. And then what we've done this year, we always used to let a couple of days out to help pay for the, um, the spiraling cost. But instead this year, I've just put that final day. I just said to both syndicates, whoever wants that extra day can. And, and they mm. snapped it up. So we've got nine days this year. Um, nine proper days that so we have a walkabout day, a beaters day. Yeah, so just keeping the cost down, really. We have been up to 15, 16, but that's kind of as much as the ground can take, to be honest. We're not set up for any more than that. No, lovely. And, and what sort of bags do you look to shoot on those nine days? So this year, we're hoping between, we should hit 80 to 100 bird days. Mm. Um, but like I say, we have been to 130, 140, 150. But the problem is when you start shooting every week, and you're shooting that kind of numbers, we've got to be responsible with what we do with the birds and every bird that we shoot needs to find a home. Um, when you shoot 80 to 100 every fortnight, the the, the game rack at the end of the day is emptied. Um, mm. But when you start shooting a few more, you've, you've really got to think outside the box. So we went for down the pro, uh, down the route of making sausages out of them. We had them for 11s. We, the guns took them away. Beaters took them away to pass around to friends and that really helped but it's all extra time and all extra money so we've scaled back a bit this year you mentioned sausages and one of the questions i had is i think syndicates fall into kind of two categories you've got your kind of champagne syndicates and then you've got your soup and a sausage roll syndicates which of which end of that scale are you on well we've kind of got both um so (laughs) when i when i took the shoot on from my old employee the existing syndicate most of them wanted to stay and a few have gone, a few more have come in. So I've kind of got, yeah, your bacon, putting a sausage behind a bike, behind the shed, they'll be happy with that. And they've got the others who are not the other end, but like a drink and, and they like a bit more fine dining. So we've got two and I've got them balanced just right. And because that's the thing with a syndicate, it only takes one or two people to upset a syndicate. And then you've got a lot of upset people. So I kind of, I've got a bit of both to be honest, and it works perfect the way they are. Which one do you enjoy more? Was that a bit of a cheeky question? The the B team, as we call it, um, they are they're not as picky. Um, when we're in flat Leicestershire, we've got no mountains, um, mm. and if it's a still sunny day with high air pressure, I'm pulling my hair out. Um, but the nice thing about syndicate, you're not judged on that one day. If you've got really poor weather, uh, really rubbish conditions, you've got another three or four days you can make up. So I always tell my guys, look, it's not on. Don't don't blast birds. There's always going to be another day. And they do listen well to that. But I can't answer that. I, I love them both. It's like having two kids. You can't love one kid more than the other. You secretly do, but you, <laughs> you can't tell anyone. <laughs> not until they're over 18 anyway. Exactly, yeah. And what about so the grounds? The ground's pretty flat. Um, what's what's the sort of makeup of it? Cover crops, woodland? Yeah, so we've got, in total, we've got 1,200 acres. Probably 1,000 of that is shootable um, because we've got people, we've got, bits of the side of motorways and main roads um we're very lucky really because we're on the, just on the edge of kind of a village that is on the outskirts of leicester um we've got the m1 motorway down one side um and then my house on another side so i've only really got two areas to dog in it's fantastic mm. to dog it in because they don't they don't stray we've got small amount of woodland really i'd say probably 50 acres some of that is ancient woodland but not a lot a few of its new plantations and then we've got about 10 10 or 11 acres of cover crop um so in all 
we've got about 12 drives. So we used to release partridges, but this year, um, with the uncertainty of the prices and everything, we get our returns on pheasants. So from kind of a, if you put your business head on, we we went just with pheasants this year. Mm. And when it comes to cover crops, what are you what are you putting in? I'm a big believer in the in as much variation in the crop as possible. Um, people swear by maize, but yes, it probably is good for driving birds. But for the for the for the whole estate and for the um, for all the other little songbirds and farmland birds, it, it's useless really. So this year I've kind of put in a winter cover mix. So you've got your linseed, your millet, your triticale. Um, and to be honest, we've at that 10 acres, we've probably only drilled four acres because we've left the chicory in from last year. We've got shelter belts of reed canary grass down, any um, cold edges of the cover crop to keep it nice mm. and warm. And it's a good way financially of, of saving money. If you've got yeah. perennials or two-year laid cover crops, you're spreading that cost because that can be really expensive. I mean, I'm very lucky. My father-in-law and brother-in-law let me borrow their tractor and trailer to do a lot of the work. Mm. Um, but if you were getting contractors in and buying the seed every year, it's it's very expensive. So it's a way of saving money and it, and it's good for, good for birds. It's really nice to hear. George, we're going to have someone on one day who's going to say, no, I do maize and maize only. And we're going to, <laughs> so far we've, we've had proper shoot, you know, proper shooting people who, um, I don't know, who care about the, the, the wild birds, but someone at some point is going to say we're maize only. We like the carrion crows and we like the rats. <laughs> well, that, that, that's, that's the point where I, uh, uh, mute their microphone for the rest of the recording. And then we go, Oh, sorry, it's all failed to record properly. We'll have to ditch that episode. <laughs> I mean, it has got its place, don't get me wrong. And I know a few of the bigger boys, they combine it at the end of the year so they can use the mm. maize to feed next year. Um, but variety is the spice of life. You wouldn't like to eat the same thing day in, day out, would you? Um, uh, so I, I always think a bit of everything. Bit of everything. One of our previous guests said that they, that, um, the one thing they change about shooting is they make it compulsory to plant. I think it was 25% of all your cover crop being wild birdseed mix. So that was a really yeah. nice idea because you're right, maize is a great cover crop for driving birds but it's nice to provide a bit of other other bits and pieces around where possible isn't it oh 100 100 yeah so you mentioned that um you know keeping everybody happy is important and it is kind of one of those uh i guess um i don't know if it's a fact but certainly you hear people say a lot that you know sooner or later all syndicates descend into a row and and break up so um how do you go about making sure that everyone's happy? Like, is your syndicate a, a democracy or is it a dictatorship? One <laughs> of a better word, it is a dictatorship because what I say goes. But my ears are always open. I nobody knows everything. Um, I'm always open and willing to listen to people's views because, at the end of the day, people are paying a lot of money, um, and everyone needs to say, but. The shooting rights are in my name, but but it's not just the guns I listen to. I listen to the beaters, the pickers up. They're all there to have a good day. They're giving up their free time. I mean, mm. I am so lucky. I don't have to pay my beaters. And I've got a waiting list of beaters as long as the waiting list for guns. Um, because mm. it's such a nice atmosphere. As soon as there's any kind of quibble or any kind of ill feeling, we get it nipped in the bud straight away. Because if you let it fester... It gets worse and worse, backbiting, and and the, you hear it. There's there's fantastic shoots that have been lost to an argument, and all it takes is to upset a farmer. And 
yeah, we're all like-minded people. It's not hard, it's not hard to get along, is it? Come what on. does it actually look like to to nip that in the bud and, and stop it escalating out of control? Because it's easier said than done, I, I expect. Yes, it is. Um, you've just got to you've got to listen to everybody, and and there's a, I've got a core of about four or five people. Some of them guns, some of them pickers up, some of them beaters, and they are my my close knit friends. And you know what they say it kind of goes and they're not out to better themselves or, or anything, you know, what they say is a fact. So you mm. just have to pick the facts out of it. And yeah, and it might initially, it might be hard to confront somebody about something or bring a certain subject up, but it's like anything, get it out in the open, get talking about it. It can go one or two ways you can even kiss and make up and get on with it or, or they leave the syndicate, but touch wood, I've always found meet it head on. Don't let anything linger. It's like when you have an argument with your missus, in it just just get in there and, uh, mm. and get it yeah. sorted out before it gets any worse. Similarities so. between running a syndicate and having a wife. That's another article for us, George. <laughs> I think I'll let I'll let you write that one, Digby. I'll let you write that yeah. one. <laughs> um, but I guess, like you know, the the, the cost thing is a really interesting one, isn't it? Because there's kind of uh, there's a how do you, you know how you approach that could potentially cause a rift where some people maybe got a bit more cash um and like well you know i'm happy to keep going and doing you know more days and bigger bags and there's others who are you know maybe they're kind of at the outer limits of their budget who are like well actually i can't do that so then i guess you kind of have to go with the the latter option in order to make sure that the shoot keeps going and that you don't lose those people well we had this 100 percent last year because we because we have an AGM I cut in February as soon as the season's over I get all the guns in and the beaters I don't exclude everyone everyone's opinion is is taken on board and we had that um was it last year when the prices were spiraling out of control and mm, yeah. um that yeah there was lads going let's just chuck another five six hundred pounds at it as other lads you could tell just by the facial expressions they were thinking oh that's me out and and I kind of said look guys it's all for one and one for all we're, we're a big team here um and i said let's just put a budget down um that's as many birds as we can get we need x amount of birds to actually run the shoot because if if we don't if for us if we don't release a certain amount of birds um we've still got the rent to pay it just doesn't work out so we ended up mothballing it last year which mm. was devastating that that estate has been shot on for god knows how many years and i've had 12 seasons before that where we've shot and to not shoot was probably one of the hardest things and i did i only read about a thousand as well so last year was really hard but um but all what we did we got together the eight one of the teams had a little walk around day where we shot 45 50 because we, we did we released about 200 birds just for these walk rounds and the other team shot another 30 on their day but i tell you what we had just as much fun on them two days shooting 30 to 40 birds than we do on shooting 100 130 just everybody yeah. got together and they appreciated them days so much it was brilliant and we got to go to the pub as well which is all <laughs> afterwards <laughs> yeah and, and i think you know you, you put your finger on a, again on a, like a really important thing over the last few years because doing what you could even though you had to mothball the driven side of things and to scale things right back i'm sure a lot of syndicates will have been having similar conversations this time last year and have gone do you know what bugger it and then haven't restarted again this year um so so to make sure that you're keeping everything going even in a small way so that you can then ramp things back up again this year is is um 
pretty impressive. Well, let's let's face it. With all shooting, not just syndicate shooting, if you ask most people, it's about the getting together. The standing on the peg yeah. is such a minuscule part of the day, and pulling the trigger is even smaller. It's about the people you're with um, and what you're doing. You're all like-minded country folk, um, and that's what I enjoy about the day. I mean, I I very rarely shoot driven birds anymore. I probably have two days a year, but when we're shooting and I'm producing them birds, I have the best day. And I take enjoyment out of watching other people shoot and other people have a laugh. And you bring it's I love I love how many generations you can have on a shoot. Because I'll take my kids out who are like three and six. And then I, my, my dad, who's 76, you've got three generations and it, and it's lovely. You can all participate in one sport. Where else could you do that other than shooting? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And we've got to be careful. Even if we're not, even if syndicates aren't shooting to the um, what they used to be shooting numbers wise, you've still got to have a get together and shoot some, uh, just shoot 20 or 30. If that's all you need to shoot. Just get together. Um, because some of, especially for some of these older people, it's a lifeline in the winter when they wouldn't be doing anything else. If they get out, have five or six hours out in the fresh air, go for a nice warm meal and a few beers in the evening, it means the world to them. It really means the world to them. We've got a couple on ours. Um, and that's why I do it. That's how I justify doing it, to be honest. Well, I, I also think that for the younger guy, for the kids as well, you know, the oldest beater is always this kind of um, sort of almost like a mythological person. You know, they're this sort of. Um, person from a completely different generation and they've got a very different outlook on life i can still remember you know some of the old boys used to come out beating on the farm when i was six or seven um and being sort of in awe of them or slightly scared slightly impressed and um you know this wealth of knowledge that you could draw upon um it's great having those older all the guys out i can remember some very similar sort of people and some of them are still alive now which means they can't be more than 60 or 70 when i was uh, <laughs> six or seven not that old we're not that far off it but yeah yeah no, that's probably true they were probably only 40 yeah <laughs> so my biggest thing with, with with being a keeper especially is to engage with them kids they've got a million and one questions they want to ask you and you could be stressed out stressed out your head on a shoot day but it, I, you've got to make a real effort as a keeper just to stop and have a chat. If you just stood on the end of the line waiting for the drive to start, that five minutes, I remember as I was growing up, I mean, I was pretty late to shooting. I was 13, 14. But just the conversation with keepers, you, you just felt that bit, bit more special that you gained a bit of knowledge. So at any time, mm. any advice we can give to the younger generation um, is time well spent in my eyes. It really is. Yeah, very true. Yeah, I love it. So, um, Sam, you... you run manage and keeper the shoot um Correct. do you have any do you have any help who who does the hard yards the doggy in the predator control what about when it comes to building pens that sort of I thing have there the a, i have the a team that's who yeah. i have <laughs> yeah uh this close-knit group of friends like i say there's probably six seven of them they know who they are and i couldn't do any of it without them um because i've got i've got a wife and two young kids who take a lot of time but Without these guys around me, like you say, they'll help me with dogging in. They'll help me. They help me on the rear field, putting the pen sections up. They'll help me do any mm. uh, chainsawing work in February, March time. Um, they'll come beating. A few of them in the syndicate. Literally, you could ring them, and within ten minutes' notice, that they, they'll be help. They could help you. Um, and I think every syndicate needs that. They need a few core lads because sometimes you get a bit of falling out with syndicates when there's ten people. You've got a work party, four people turn up. There's a bit of animosity there. They don't do anything. But 
you can't, in my opinion, you can't think of a syndicate like that. Then four people have turned up. I've turned up because they enjoy that side of it as well. Mm. Um, some shoots charge a bit extra if you're not going to have the time to be able to come to do a work party, um, and then or deduct um, subs from from the guns who do the work. But it's pointless falling out over that because there's always going to be people who want to do the work, and there's always people who doesn't. So that's just a syndicate. That's just a group of people, and it's how they're going to work. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so is there an expectation from all of the guns to come and help out at all, or does it just um, does that conversation never happen? To be honest, I don't want them all there. It'd be, it'd be a nightmare. <laughs> um, it's far easier trying to get five or six people to do what you need to do than have try and organise ten or twelve because you end up not doing anything yourself and just go around getting everybody else. Don't get me wrong, we have we have gatherings, we have barbecues, clay shoots, things like that during the summer where we all do get together. Um, but for the the main jobs that need doing, I've just got a WhatsApp group and we, I stick it on there. And um, and I don't expect anything from anybody. It, whenever I ask, I don't expect them to do it. Um, it's just really nice when they can do it. And and nine times out of ten, they never let me down. So, very and what what about what about if you're a new if you were to set up a new syndicate? How do you go about building those um, relationships? Because I mean, that sounds like there's some of your close mates, but. For someone setting up a new syndicate, there'll probably be a few listeners who've got a new syndicate and think, oh, I wish I had that. Go to the local pub. Go to the local pub. That's the yeah. best place to find them normally. Propping up the bar. Um, yeah, to be honest, I'm very lucky. I, I'm kind of Leicestershire born and raised. Um, but if you're looking at setting a new syndicate, well, I mean, you've got Facebook groups now. Um, you've got Facebook groups, the pub. Literally, just get to know your locals. Talk to your locals especially kind of older farmers, older farm hands have been there a while. They'll know who's into country sports. They'll know who, who can lend a hand. And a lot of the time, don't take other people's word for what people are like. Get to know them. Um, yeah. Always take just, people as you find them. You've got, you've got to get the local poacher on board as well, haven't you? Luckily, he was my dad. So, uh, I was quite <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's still a bloody nightmare now and he's in the beating line. But, um, yeah, he was a local poacher. We've got him. We've got him now. So, very nice. So uh, I think we might have touched on this a little bit already. But when you when you go about pricing things up, you're starting with basically what the the gun's budget is and working backwards. Are you? Is that how you're? Um, it depends the if price? it's a price list. If, if it's a pricing I show my wife, that's totally different to the pricing I show my syndicate. Because <laughs> <laughs> obviously she, she's got to think we make loads of money at it. But to be honest, I price it so we break even. Um, so I mean, this year was a prime example. I had a meeting in February with everybody and said, I think Pulse are going to be about £7 and always err on the side of caution. It's always mm. easier to have a little bit of money sat in the bank than have to go around with the cap in hand asking the syndicate for more money um, in, in July, August time when you've spent up because it doesn't matter how much you love the syndicate. I, I've done this before. You end up reaching into your own pocket to subsidise other people shooting and I've had a couple of my guns have a serious sit down and a chat with me saying, stop it. <laughs> Literally, we want to shoot. We will pay for it. So, yeah, air on the side of caution with pricing. I mean, back in February, we we're thinking £7 a pulp, but now the prices are dropping. Um, same with the food. Just go on previous years. Go on what you've... No two years are exactly the same, but you kind of... You get an average over the years. Prepare for the worst. Hope for the best price-wise. And then if you have got a little bit of money left in, you can either have it as contingency fund because let's face it there's always going to be a rainy day there's going to be things that you 
I don't know, you come down with a, a touch of disease and you have to restock on birds or mm. electric fencing units gone down that you need to replace. So you need to leave it in the contingency fund or or you can, during the season, you could buy a few bottles of extra slow gin, put a bit more food on. Um, but it's definitely better to, to have the money there than having to go and ask for it from the guns, most definitely. Yeah, 100%. That sounds really sensible. And I know you rear your own... Um, birds for the syndicate is that because you love it or because it saves money um it's an addiction if i'm quite honest um, <laughs> I, I tried to give it up last year um but the problem is when i left school at 16 i've in one way or another i've, I've reared birds and the missus thinks it's just a way of getting out of a summer holiday with the kids <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but no I, I love it i mean we, we've got five thousand on the field that that will do both of my shoots this year um we have got room for a few more um but that that's really just a i've got a few friends who are game farmers and if they run out of room i've got room to take some chicks if, if they get desperate um but yeah i mean you i'm lucky I, I i ran my own game farm for the last seven or eight years where we did about 30 35,000 so I sold mm. most of my kit but I kept a little bit of kit just in case I ever wanted to do a bit again which uh, I knew was inevitable so I've kept a little bit of kit so the kit owes me nothing so I do make a little bit on the birds but it's, it's not a money-making exercise there's easier ways of making money than rearing pheasants um, because it might be addictive but would you recommend it smoking's addictive but I wouldn't recommend it to anybody <laughs> um, honestly no um if it if it's a passion and it's in your gut and you can't get away from the idea of rearing then give it a go by all means but try and get try and get friendly with someone who's done it before who knows what they're doing um go and work on a game farm go and help catching up go and help beat bit go and see the ins and outs of it game farmers are always looking for good helpers you don't have to work for them, but at the weekends, just say, do you want a hand boot bitting? They'll never turn you away. Never. Um, go and get a, an uh, go and have a feel of it. See what you think. But it is a lot less stressful um, to buy in pulps, 100%. Um, and you know what you're getting. You know, if you order a 1,000, nine times out of 10, you're going to get a 1,000. If you're rearing mm. from day olds, you could put, let's say, 1,100 in a shed, if you have a disaster, you could have a heater go out, you could have a flood, you could have a real cold north wind that could chill them. And there's so many different things. Pheasants have got a million and one days ways to die before October the 1st, and they'll yeah. try and find all of them. Um, but, yeah, you, you've really got to be into it. And I'd say do your research and and try and help people out so you exactly know what, so you exactly know what you're getting yourself into. And, and you've got 5,000 on the field this year. Um, how much of that can you do by yourself and how how often do you need to call in the assistance of the A-team? Well, to be honest, the rearing side of it is quite easy um, because we we put up, they, the A-team helped me put up permanent pens. So we've got proper four-inch tantalised, six-foot posts, galvanised wire. Mm. So that's all ready to go. And um, so I, I'm, I'm currently working a Monday and a Friday at a minute with with my current employers uh, I've gone part-time which is fantastic um so I can more or less do it myself but when I'm at the office on a Monday and a Friday I've got friends who'll come down make sure the brooders are still on make sure the drinkers are still full um so it seems like nothing but sometimes just spending five minutes watching your birds is the best five minutes you'll ever spend because you can 
you need to preempt a problem before it comes a problem with pheasants. Um, you need to know they're getting the disease before they get it. <laughs> they're a nightmare. They're like sheep, <laughs> but worse. They really are. Uh, so, do you? And there's do always you... a problem. Like yes, so, like yesterday, I went to collect these pheasants. Um, my, the the chap I was getting them from said, "Oh, I'm really struggling. I'm really busy. I won't be able to deliver them." So. One of the AT, me, he said, oh, I've got just the vehicle. It's a big people carrier. It's all air conditioned. You'll be able to keep them the right temperature. I said, well, why is it down here at your garage? He said, well, there's a bit of a an issue that we need to, I don't really know. Um, give it a run out, see what it does. So get there, load the birds up and get to within two miles of home. All of a sudden, engine warning light comes on, cuts out. And I'm just stuck, just off a roundabout, two miles from home with 5,000 chicks in the back. <laughs> No air conditioning. And by this time, I am flapping. Uh, I am the biggest panicker in the world. And um, I'm ringing my friend up. I say, I'm saying, I need help. I'm stuck on the road. Ring my wife up. And then literally, they're there within five, ten minutes. We've got two trucks. We're chucking them in the back of the truck. Um, leave the truck, on. leave this uh, station wagon on the side of the road. Uh, my mate's looking after that, trying to get it to work. Luckily, get all the chicks in and they're absolutely fine. But it's never straightforward. And I said, well, what do you think wrong with it? He said, well, it's a scrapper now. You've proper buggered it. So it's, <laughs> literally, it's never a five-minute job with pheasants. There's always something. So. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And you're, so you're rearing 5,000 this year. Um, what scale would you say is too small to bother? Um, I, don't, I don't think there is. A, you, could, you could do two or 300 in a little 8 by 8 shed um, on a small patch of ground. Um you could do any number really you know i know people who do 100 in a stable with a couple mm -hmm. of red lights and a few manual drinkers um but all i would say is this goes with the release stage or the day old stage register with a, a proper um game bird vet because they they can be your lifeline um because disease can spread like wildfire it can spread when you know what you're looking for and if you don't know what you're looking for i mean i only know this because i found out firsthand i was rearing for a little syndicate i'm in and i lost what was it nearly 400 out of a thousand partridges in like mm. three or four days to coxie um, and that was a very expensive learning curve um, but if yeah. you've got a, um, a game bird vet or you're already registered with them within half an hour's drive that is a that's a real big piece of advice I'd give to people if you're even contemplating rearing and at the release stage as well. And you reckon you would have saved those partridge or at least some of them? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Because coxie, it is it is quite easily curable. But I, I was one of these. You keep looking in, thinking oh, they're not right. But I'll try and put them on some multi bits. I'll tr it might be this, it might be that. Don't don't even go there. Just straight down to the vet for a post mortem. Yes, it might cost you eighty to a hundred quid. But how many is four hundred? partridge cost you <laughs> a lot more yeah, than that yeah um, yeah so i'm a big believer in that now big believer very good advice yeah um so i want to know for, for for anybody out there who is thinking about starting up a syndicate um what's the best thing and what's the worst thing about being in charge the best thing is coming to the end of the drive you've just had a howling southeast southwesterly wind blowing you've just had over 100 shots where you normally have 50 or 60 the guns couldn't touch the birds um <laughs> all your all the guns are laughing and joking taking the mick all your beaters are, are having fun you blow the whistle and you feel about eight foot tall because you know that all your hard work has just paid off um 
And I remember that specifically that evening, I walked into the pub and I was late going to the pub and you could just see everybody stood at the bar and they're all pretending to shoot that high pheasant. They're all swinging their arms, all jovial. And and to me, I just sat back and looked and thought, that's why I do it. That, that is the best. The worst thing, it, it's got to be, for me, it, it's, it's the guilt because... I've got a lot of other things to do as well. I've got a family. I mean, as my family get older, they can come with me a lot more now and, and they are taking in interest. They love the chicks. They love feeding poults. Um, but it's the guilt of having to be on the shoot at unsociable hours, bedtime, bath time, early in the mornings. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably the hardest bit for me. And the hardest bit for a lot of people though is finding the land as well finding the land to do mm. it. Um, mm. Land's so sought after. I mean, I pay, well, as a syndicate, we pay a very high rent for what we've got. Um, yeah, ridiculously high. Um, but P- I hear P- farmers are charging for pigeon shoes, you know, things like that now. So, um, but it's one of them. If you've got a passion, if you've got a drive to do it, you'll find a way. Yeah. You, you'll find yeah. a way. Yeah. Are your children showing an interest? They're going to be uh, joining the syndicate in a few years' time. They've got some beating to do first. <laughs> They've got a lot of beating, a lot of uh, beat bitting and catching to do. Um, I'm one of these parents. I don't push them into anything. If they wake up in the morning and say, Dad, can I come in the truck? Um, like I went down the pheasants this morning at five o'clock and um, my, my son was gutted. He got up, he saw me coming back up the house at half five. He's like, oh, Dad, where have you been? I wanted to come with you. But if they come, if they take to shooting, fantastic. Um, but if they don't, they don't. They've got to make their own choices. But I'll, I'll most definitely be there helping them and guiding them if, they, if that's what they want to do, 100%. Yeah, how, I wonder how many years of beating you have to do to to warrant uh, a syndicate gun. I think it's quite a lot. 18 at least. <sighs> got to be. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I was very lucky when the first syndicate I started on um, was literally in the, the village I grew up in. And they kind of had a good side and a bad side, north and south side. They shot one one week, one the next. And none of the guns turned up for the rubbish side. So all the beaters who turned up, they kind of said, oh, well, you might as well carry your gun. And But it's where I've shot my first pheasant, where I shot my first partridge. And I'm, I'm eternally grateful for, that, for them guys. Um, and that's mm. where I first had my first pen of burst to look after. Um, so they, they, they entrusted me with a lot. And I still go there now. I'm still a member of the syndicate. And I take my little and their... Um, he comes and stands on peg with me and picks up the empties. Um, the little shoots for encouraging kids is is the best thing. Really oh, is. for sure. Like we were saying at the beginning, I would imagine that you know a huge proportion of uh, people who are shooting today shot their first bird, you know, standing on their dad's peg for a drive or doing beaters day or something like that on the yeah. on the dad syndicate. Yeah, and let's face it, on the bigger commercial kind of days, there's a lot of money, there's a lot of pressure, and sometimes it's not it's not the right environment for children whereas a syndicate day no no real pressure keeper might get a bit um but it, it should be about having fun and most of the syndicates i go on that's the emphasis having fun um, mm, yeah and it's a great environment for kids they, they they've got walking sticks they're tripping each other up flicking cow muck <laughs> at each other um, what better environment can you have and they come home and they are shattered just that's, that's the main thing isn't it i've got i've got three-year-old twins and the great thing about a shoot day is they are absolutely wrecked at the end of it and they go straight to bed no mucking about it's brilliant <laughs> and i'll tell you what it does do it, it installs manners um 
an etiquette into young kids. Because um, quite a few of the older boys on my syndicate, literally, if my kids walk in, they're shaking hands and please, thank yous. And, and, and it's fantastic to see. It's installing manners in, into a generation that I'm afraid are, are losing it, aren't they? Not careful. That's really nice to hear. Now, I want to just um, ask one last, well, one quick question, which is something that I've been thinking about: is conservation um, uh, effort in a syndicate? Are all of your guns behind the conservation work you do, such as planting your wild bird seed stuff, or are there any? Um, are there ever any guns who sort of grumble about spending a little bit extra money to feed through till April or May? Um, you know, the the hungry gap. I mean, how do you manage that? Well, to be honest, I've never heard any grumblings personally, um, but I would consider all of all of my syndicate countrymen, if you like. They understand the countryside. Uh, they know how it works and anything that benefits it. Um, I don't think they'd ever, they'd ever have a bad word to say about it. Um, so, yeah, from that point, we, we've never had any grumbles. I mean, it can be overlooked quite a lot um, because when your budgets are tight, mm. you look at every way of saving that last bit of money. And, yeah, February the 2nd, if you stop feeding then, you'll probably save two tonne of food and uh, £150, £300. That's a lot of pulse for next year. Um, so I think everyone's a bit guilty of that, not just with the food, but in general. Um, but I think as we get more pressure from outside the sector um we really have got to step up what we do conservation wise um and we've got to become we we shouldn't be so scared of of telling people what we do we've got to become more accountable um it's just like with these um with these surveys answer more surveys uh, that's what i liked about doing the sausages you give somebody a pack of sausages it engages them in conversation. Oh, what are these? Pheasant sausages. And all of a sudden you've broken down that barrier. You're talking about shooting and then you can get across the good arguments for shooting, the good points. Um, and conservation is one of them. So there's always more we can do. Always more we can do conservation wise. Um, but yeah, syndicate wise, I've never had any pushback. They're all countrymen. They all know that you yeah. get out what you put in basically. So there's two things I wanted that I, I thought of while you were speaking there. First of all, I hadn't realised at the beginning when you were talking about the sausages that you were dishing them out in the local community. Is that right? Yeah. So um, I'd literally get them all made at uh, butchers and then I would give two or three packs to the guns, two or three packs to the beaters. And uh, my dad would walk around the village bothering people, handing them out. <laughs> Just yeah, try, try these pheasant sausages. That's great. Brilliant. More shoots should um, do that for sure. Um, and then the other thing yeah. is, you know, like we said at the beginning, 45% of shoots are runner syndicates. And people tend to focus on commercial shooting when, when they talk about the pressure that we get from outside. But the power of the syndicate should not be underestimated. I mean, I'm not good enough to do the maths, but the, the, the area of land that is under management for syndicate shooting has got to be vast. Um, and so the power to do productive good things and to paint shooting in a good light and to do the kind of outreach that that you're talking about with the sausages is so huge um that uh that i think it's really important that people who are involved in syndicates think about that um they have it's not i guess it's not a responsibility or a duty but they do have the power to make a huge difference for shooting as a whole don't they yeah and i must admit it is quite daunting because up until two or three years ago i I never really went into any depth about what I did for a job or never really brought it up in conversation because I didn't know 
how to deal with any negative comments or but as you grow older um you kind of just think what's the worst that could happen just just bring it up in conversation i'd like to think i've got a few of the answers now to a lot of the negative comments but i, I think personally we have got a duty as a sector because it's protecting our future um so what what's the worst that can happen? Bring it up in conversation. You'll find nine times out of ten, unless they are absolutely stuck in their ways, um, I've got no no hope of changing their mind. Nine times out of ten, you'll at least get them to sit back on the fence about shooting, um, because all, most of the time, all this is is negative. Um, so we're, we've got a lot of responsibility, I think, personally. Yeah, there's a, there's a great great app I've been using called Merlin Bird ID that you can leave when you're out and about on the farm or doing work on your DIY days, it listens to the sound of bird song and tells you what song, uh, what bird is singing at that time. So you leave it out five, 10 minutes on a gate post or fence post or something like that. Um, or on the edge of a cover crop, it listens for 10 minutes and it says, you've got linnets, you've got yellow hammers, you've got, you know, chiff chaffs, chaffinches, house martins, you know, whatever it is. And I think if, if more keepers, syndicate members, that sort of thing, could download that app, um, and uh, it's, it really is addictive. You start sort of trying to search for new new birds on the farm, or think, what can I do to encourage more of these? That sort of thing. But so anyone yeah, listening, the- <laughs> download that app and then talk about it. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. We've got no vested interest in it whatsoever. I just think it's I think it's a brilliant app. Really good well, fun. It goes the same with um, being involved in the big bird count as well, the farmland bird count. Yeah, I mean, I don't do it personally myself. We, we've got somebody else who does it on our estate. But if you get a list of what's been spotted, it's more ammunition, isn't it, for us? And just say, look, the positive impacts of us shooting game all um, through the winter, we've got X, Y, and Z on the estate. Yeah, yeah. Well, so this is going to be really interesting then because the way we like to finish these uh, episodes off, Sam, is um, we like to ask our guests uh, the same question every time. So if you had the power to change just one thing about shooting and everybody had to comply with your wishes on pain of death what would that one thing be what would you have people do i would have people to be more accountable to be proud of what we do and not bury our heads in the sand about what we do um, we've got a t- tough time up ahead of us um, as a sector um, with gl43 what happening what's happening in wales um and this sector needs some data. We need to hold our hands up. We need to, I wonder how many people have registered on the poultry register. Mm. Um, that is a must. If you're a small syndicate, if you're a large commercial shoot, if you're rearing, register on the poultry register. We need to, I'd like more people to engage with the with BASC, with NGO, with Game Farmers Association. Them, these associations are all here to help us. They've got the information we need. I mean, to say I didn't know that or I wasn't aware that affected us, that's not an excuse anymore. If, if we're slightly, if we're doing things slightly against the law or out of, if we're not running to the code of shooting practice, we all should know these things and, and the answers are there to be found. Um, Bass do a fantastic um, shoot walk that you get your regional officer to come out and you talk about all the legislation um, and it's free if you're a Bass member. And I think personally, you need to join as many of these as you can, um, hmm. because we're all fighting for the same thing, um, and we're all we all need to be pulling in the same direction. We we don't need to have any infighting. Um, we need to be 
fighting what's coming over the horizon and stick together um, and, uh, and clean our act up and work as, work as one. If that, That's what I want, personally. I mean, I was one of them. I used, to, I used to stick my head below the sand and think, I'm only small. It doesn't really matter. Nobody will ever come down and have a look what I do. But I'm, I'm proud as punch of what I do now. I, I'm, I'm proud as punch. I, I want to tell everybody. I want, I want people to come and walk around the shoot and show them what I do. Um, because I've got nothing to hide and, and we shouldn't have anything to hide. We should be proud. Um, and if you don't know something, there's plenty of people that have the answers and that will tell you the answers. Yeah. 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 We're being judged on it by DEFRA as well. I, I was at a talk in February with one of the vets on the DEFRA veterinary panel who was saying that um, they know that there are 12,000 shoots in the country there or thereabouts. And they can see how many people have signed up to the poultry register. And if that number is, you know, shockingly poor like it is then they know we can't really be trusted um yeah, so well, we, we are being judged on it and we we're, we're about self-regulation we want to self-regulate our sector but if we can't even register on a poultry register yeah then how can we self-regulate uh, they're mm. just not even gonna give us the time of day are they very true and um you it's interesting you mentioned you know have the facts and, and the data and, and the statistics um and we've mentioned it already at the beginning as well um the each year guns on pegs uh, and shoot hub we run the the game shooting census and uh it will the census will be open the surveys will be open when this episode goes out so i would say to absolutely everyone uh that they should complete that survey it doesn't matter how big your shoot is or how small you know it, it's really important that we can gather uh this information not only so that we can understand how people are feeling and thinking about uh, the season ahead and and the future shooting, but also to gather that kind of information about, you know, how many uh, thousands of hectares of, of wild bird seed mix are being planted each year, how much woodland management's going on. All this kind of thing is ammunition in the fight to protect the future shooting. Um, so just a, li- a bit of a plug for that. We've got a great question in there this year that I'm dying to see the answer of, which is if your shoot no longer shot over the land it shoots over currently how much of the conservation projects you're involved in currently would would stop um and i'd love to see that not you know that number be huge you know so if if shooting got banned today conservation would decrease or conservation projects would decrease on land that shot over by 80 percent. and i reckon it i reckon it that would be about right because after all the reason you plant your wild bird seed mix sam is because of the the pheasants you would you wouldn't be there yeah. if it wasn't for the the shooting yeah all those sorts of things and if you've got you know whatever it is 20 acres of cover crops and uh you get 10 ton of wheat a hectare or an acre and uh wheat's 300 pound a ton you know why would you why would you not be planting it with wheat um yeah. you know it just doesn't well, make sense mean, who, who funds the con- who funds the con- conservation if shoots don't yeah who funds yeah. it Exactly. I think that'd be a really so fill in the census. I want to know your answers to that question in particular. Um, yeah. yeah, brilliant. Well, Sam, it's been an absolutely fascinating chat. Thank you ever so much for coming and joining us. Well, thanks for the invite, guys. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Nice chat. Right, that's it. Uh, that's it for another episode. Um, do get in touch to let us know what you thought. You can email pod at gunsonpegs.com. Uh, please do also get in touch uh, if you've got any suggestions for either or questions that we can ask our guests or if you've got a particular topic that you would like us to cover in a future episode. Again, that email address is pod at gunsonpegs.com. We will be back uh, very soon with another special guest. But until then, 
stay safe out there and thanks for listening. 